Hello, and welcome to another edition of Brussels Sprouts. I'm Andrea Kendall-Taylor. And I'm Jim Townsend. And we're so glad you can join us. And today, uh, in this episode of Brussels Sprouts, uh, we are turning our attention to the high north and northern European security and the Arctic. Uh, And in part because in May, Russia's Arctic Council chairmanship begins. Uh, NATO and its partners are facing growing tension in the north. And as Jim and I recently put out in a recent report on Russia, China in the Arctic, and for anyone who hasn't read it yet, you should. Um, But we identify and talk about Russia-China interactions um, and just discuss how melting sea ice, the the declining snow coverage, uh, the ways that it's creating new shipping lanes like the Northern Sea Route and greater access to natural resources, how all of this is really increasing to growing geopolitical competition in the region. And these developments raise a whole lot of questions, um, I think including how Nordic defense capabilities need to be refashioned to better meet the Russia challenge raises questions about what NATO's role is going to be in preserving Arctic security, how NATO's partnership mechanisms can be improved, Um, certainly questions about the role of the Arctic Council and whether we need to restore additional mechanisms for addressing the region's uh, growing security concerns. Uh, And so to discuss these issues, we're really excited to have Jana Kusala and Svein Efustad here to discuss Nordic perspectives on these questions and a whole lot more. So welcome, uh, Jana, welcome Svein, we're we're really happy to have you. Thank you, thanks for having us. All right, so just to do um, a very quick background on both, um, Jana is the Deputy Director General for Defense Policy at the Ministry of Defense of Finland, where he served since January 2016, and I believe also serving as Defense Policy Director. Uh, he has had a long career with the Ministry of Defense in Finland, including serving as Acting Director General for Uh, defense policy from 2016 to 2020, among um, a whole host of other roles. And Svein is policy director at the Norwegian Ministry of Defense, I believe since 2013. He's currently chairing the Coast Guard Council, where he represents Norway at the political steering committee of the Nordic Defense Cooperation. And throughout his career, also a very long career in the Ministry of Defense um, in Norway, uh, he's also served as Director General for Security Policy at the Ministry from 1995 to 2013. So uh, fantastic expertise and experience um, from both of you. Again, super glad to have you. But we're going to throw in a curveball. And before we jump into these Arctic and uh, Northern Europe security issues, Um, We can't ignore kind of what's happening in Eastern Europe, um, the Russian military buildup in and around Ukraine. Uh, So just wanted to get as two countries who are sitting kind of on the front lines uh, next door to your big neighbor to the north, always appreciate uh, Northern European takes on Russia. And so it's fine, maybe we can start with you just to kind of get your sense of what you see happening in and around Ukraine and what the Russians are up to. It is a very difficult question to answer. We, we certainly don't know, but um, it is totally, in my view, unacceptable that Russia is um, gathering a lot of offensive capabilities in and around um, Ukraine. And now they also have the possibilities to probably use more freely the territories of the Belarusian state in, in that attempt whether this is um, the beginning of, so, of something very serious or whether it's some demonstration or a, a pre-exercise for Sapad, very difficult to know. Uh, but anyway, it, um, it boils down to some kind of intimidation of the legitimate Ukraine government, which we think is totally inappropriate and unacceptable in, in the situation that we are in. Um, but it's, um, it's not up to me to, to give any final judgment on, on what the thinking is in, in Moscow. But um, we should follow this very, very closely. And um, we have been surprised before. We could be surprised again. Jana? Yeah, to add to what Swain just said, uh, I also would not like to second guess the uh, 
what Russia is ultimately aiming at with this uh, troop buildup. But uh, surely we are all concerned about that here in Europe. And uh, believe uh, recently uh, Ukraine requested to activate the uh, risk reduction mechanism as foreseen in the paragraph 16 of the Vienna document. And it's not like that happens every day in European security. And apparently Russia has declined to uh, cooperate, which is uh, not a good sign for the OSCE's uh, vitality either. Uh, uh, without uh, trying to guess uh, what Russia is aiming at, uh, for sure they have managed to um, already to create uh, tension uh, to create confusion and, and, and also the increased confrontation. So uh, you could say that there is uh, increased conflict potential. And uh, what comes to Finland and, and Nordic countries, uh, our support to Ukraine's sovereignty and territorial integrity stands firm. And we, of course, support all the efforts to resolve the conflict in eastern Ukraine. You know, uh, th thanks, guys. Well, first of all, thanks, guys, for being on Brussels Sprouts. It's wonderful to see you on the screen. You're great old colleagues of mine, and and it makes me feel good to see you see you still there and still in the action. Um, you know, I, uh, I I I think what you all said is exactly right. That's just right right where I am too. But I wanted to pick up on a point that Yana had talked about in terms of the OSCE, and because a lot of what we're seeing right now is a stress test of the OSCE. It's a stress test of NATO. Uh, it's a stress test uh, for us here in Washington too. Uh, it's a stress test of this new administration. And, and I said in an earlier podcast, I, I, it's, it's too superficial to say, uh, well, it's the uh, new administration being tested by the Russians and you know, as if that's what, you, what happens when you're in a transitional period here in Washington. But I think what this does though, is it is a stress test on how the internal mechanisms here in the interagency here in Washington, or, uh, but particularly I wanted to focus on the OSCE and, and NATO because um, if you remember during the night, well, you won't remember, but the stories from the 1930s about the League of Nations, you know, when the Italians uh, were, uh, and the Germans both were being aggressive uh, during that time, the League of Nations was shown that it, it, it wasn't gonna work. They couldn't work. It was a fine idea, but in practicality, it didn't. Uh, I think the Italians walked out, um, and uh, uh, you know, I and so we um, we're seeing now with OSCE uh, a stress test. And Yana, you're absolutely right. You don't usually see nations uh, OSCE members coming uh, uh, using the Vienna document in, in this way. This is unusual. So it's really imperative that the OSCE is able to work that the OCE is able to show that it can do something. But, uh, but you know, NATO's got that problem too. Not that uh, Ukraine is in NATO and they're in the PFP. And I'm sure under the PFP document, you know, you can also come to NATO and say that as a partner, you feel under stress by a neighbor. It's, there's not an Article 5 there, but there is this all of a sudden a monkey put on the back of, of NATO and OSCE to be able to prove themselves to be able to deter the Russians. So, so I, I, I think we're all very nervous about what the Russians might do in terms of, of, military, of military action against Ukraine, but I'm worried about what is this gonna do to uh, these two very important post-World War II institutions uh, in terms of their credibility and that they're able to show that they can do what they've been designed to do. If they can't, then that's just another crisis for us to deal with in terms of the, uh, you know, post-Cold War international order, as we say, you know, what are we going to do with these pillars of the uh, security structure for Europe and for the transatlantic community if they show that they're not able to deter or somehow deal with this problem? Uh, so that's what makes me nervous, just to say. Anyway, oh, back to you, Andrea. Sorry about that. No, that's okay. I mean, it, it, I mean, all of these things are are so related in the sense, you know, we, what I think we're seeing from Moscow is just this increasingly confrontational stance. So it was pulling the ambassador back from Washington. It was the treatment of Burrell um, and the European Union by Lavrov in Moscow. There's this increasingly confrontational stance. I'm going to shift now because part of that increasing assertiveness um, is also present in the Arctic. Um, and so I wonder, you know, if you, so again, Jim and I just did this report on Russia and China in the Arctic. Um, but I would love to get both your takes. How would you describe um, Russian dynamics 
uh, in, in the Arctic currently. Yana? All right, yeah, sure. Um, well, uh, it's been clear that uh, Russia is viewing Arctic as a kind of a focal, focal area also in uh, defense and military means. And uh, Russia has been uh, actively uh, developing its capabilities in that region. Also what comes to uh, both weapon systems and, and basing. Uh, I would say that uh, if you look at the bases that Russia has actually been uh, rebuilding and reopening after closing them down uh, after the Cold War ended, uh, uh, that I would say has been uh, mainly defensive in nature, if you take into account the scale of the region, the geographical scale and the uh, operate, uh, operating conditions in the Arctic. I think what Russia is uh, strategically aiming at is that they want to, first of all, ensure control uh, of that region uh, against the prospect of uh, gradually increasing navigation in the Northeastern Sea route. Uh, they want to make sure they have control of that route. Uh, of course, it uh, goes without saying that uh, Russia is constantly wa wants to uh, ensure the safety uh, of its uh, nuclear weapons in Kola Peninsula, the survivability of the uh, strategic second strike uh, nuclear weapons, it's, I believe, uh, two-thirds of them in Russia are based in, in, in the Arctic, in, in Kola Peninsula, so uh, they want to secure that. And also Russia wants to secure the uh, freedom of navigation for their northern fleet, which is a very important asset for, for Russian armed forces. And uh, if you look at what uh, Russian political and military leadership has been saying about the Arctic region recently. Uh, they don't believe that a uh, conflict or, or war would start in the Arctic, but if it would start somewhere else, it would quickly spill over to the Arctic. So in that sense, uh, we, we can say that the, uh, the increasing great power competition is, uh, is uh, valid also in the Arctic region. Yes, uh, that ties very, very well in with uh, what we talked about with the Ukraine. In my view, the arrangements uh, before the Second World War was very much the same character as we see in today's OSCE. And, um, but NATO is different, totally different. And um, the way that hybrid warfare was used before Second World War was very instructive of how it can be used today even stronger today because we have cyber weapons in addition. But uh, going back to the Arctic, I fully agree with what Janne says. Um, and um, they have been also building up the army component uh, on the Kola Peninsula. We saw in, um, in subpart 17 that they were able to reinforce the ground forces on the Kola Peninsula very rapidly by air and rail as well. And later they have also um, established a army corps headquarters there. Uh, and we also saw during the, the Russian exercise Ocean Shield 2019, that they sent their naval assets out from the Baltic Sea and down from the Kona Peninsula kind of surrounded Norway, very much uh, the same scenario that we saw in the 1970s which led to the pre-positioning of US equipment in Norway. So I think that we see some of the same developments as before. In addition, we've had this, uh, this uh, snap exercises, which come totally unexpected. And, um, and uh, that has been um, of a source of concern for us. But I would also like to say that we are much better prepared now than we were 10 years ago. If you go 10 years back in time, the readiness criteria in Europe was basically to be able to send this, the next contingent to, to Afghanistan. So there was kind of a, a readiness criteria of six months, which, conclude, which made us conclude that our forces is basically 
irrelevant for the defense of the territory. And that was one of the reasons why we took this initiative already in 2008 to beef up the collective defense. And um, much remains to be done, I must admit, but we are much better positioned today. We have a more relevant command structure. We have a reinforcement concept. We have a maritime defense concept, which makes sense. And the readiness criteria have also been sharpened substantially. So things are also improving on our side, in my view. But um, we also see that in addition to what Janus said, Russia is also expanding its footprint in the Arctic. And the fact that they reestablished these bases, which they had also during the Cold War, is different now because they have long range weapon systems. So they can actually more or less cover all the relevant targets in Europe and also in parts of North America from their positions in the Arctic. And that also will change, I think, the approach from the United States, from our allies, the Brits and so on. So we need to consult more, I think, amongst those who operate in the Arctic to find better solutions, better patterns of, of training exercises and planning than we've had in the past. There is this organization called the Arctic Security Roundtable Forum, but that is on the military level and they don't have any political basis for this. So what we need is, is a kind of a orchestrated approach from the ministries of defense, which is also based on a, on a policy and a task. And I think there is much to be done in order to coordinate better between the NATO commands and the American commands, and also between the, I think the European command and the, and the, and the Northern command, because we can see operations now started in the European part of the Arctic, stretching over to the American part and vice versa. And that is not only on the air side, but also on the maritime side. So I think there is something to be done there. Um, but basically, I think we are in a much better situation now than we were 10 years ago. Well, that, that was great, Svein. Uh, and Jana, thank you very much. And uh, I have to say, Svein, a lot of that improvement over the past 10 years in Norway and, and, and dealing with the Arctic was you. You pushed a lot of that within NATO and you got a lot of pushback from people, not hard pushback, but you, people just weren't listening. As you point out, we were all caught up in Afghanistan, particularly NATO was. And, um, and there were a lot of things that we let go, including here in the US as we dealt with 9-11 and post 9-11, Iraq and Afghanistan. And now we're, we're paying the price and with great power competition, we're finding ourselves better, better, at least we've been, we're improving, but we're finding ourselves better able to do coin still than something up in the Arctic. So there you go. And I think you and I used to talk about that. But let me ask you a quick question. You know, last year, um, there was a lot of, uh, a lot of stuff in the, um, in the I'll, I'll call it the Arctic press about Svalbard and strange things happening on Svalbard, uh, words between Norway and Russia about what was happening on Svalbard. Um, what was that just a lot of froth and not really anything substance to it or was there something happening there and is it still going on with russia so that's that's one question the second question is at nato how serious is nato other than rhetorically about having an arctic mission i mean i think back as a defense planner if i were at nato as a defense planner my plate is already overflowing dealing with other parts of deterring Russia down in, in, in Central and Eastern Europe, whether it's in the Baltic or wherever, having them drop on my plate an Arctic mission too, uh, and putting that on allies to do, to pay for on top of everything else. I mean, you, you know you know what's gonna happen. So, uh, I, so, so I, I can't help but think that at NATO right now, there's a lot of talk about the Arctic, uh, and maybe a little bit here and a little bit there. And then sure in the strategic concept, there's going to be two paragraphs that you guys will write uh, on, Nor on uh, the Arctic, et cetera. But beyond that, how serious is NATO uh, in terms of having a, having a fight up in the Arctic? And, and just to add to that, when the U.S. talks about a fight in the Arctic, it's off of Alaska. 
I mean, if you go to Norfolk, they might talk about second, you know, second fleet. They might talk about Trident Juncture and the Ar but but really, uh, you know, the Arctic strategies that are coming out of the Pentagon is all about Alaska. So uh, so those so Svalbard and then NATO, uh, just what you what you were what you're seeing. As regards uh, Svalbard, this is a kind of a, a political push that we experience from time time and again. Um, they are the Russians are not satisfied with the Norwegian environmental regulations, which they believe is pushing them out of certain areas there. Um, but we don't feel this is a kind of a military threat push on, on Svalbard. It's a political um, stride, if you like. And uh, our foreign minister answered that in, in very concrete, stark terms. But this is something which is kind of, it will not go away. It will always be there and then it comes up and it disappears again and so on. It's been like that since 1920s, I believe. So, um, yeah. no, I don't think that is, um, and you know, Svalbard, the Svalbard Treaty of 1920 is a multinational treaty signed by a lot of countries. So if somebody is violating that treaty, it is also a violation against the British and the Americans and the Chinese and everybody else. So that, it is important to keep that in mind. That's a good point. When it comes to the Arctic missions, um, I had some serious discussion. I think you were part of it too, <laughs> with our Canadian uh, counterparts about how far NATO's area of responsibility went to the north. And I was very clear, it goes to the North Pole. And it does. And uh, as regards Svalbard, we made clear when we joined NATO that Svalbard is also covered by, by the NATO treaty. So um, we do quite a bit in the Arctic. We have a lot of intelligence going on there. We have a situational awareness, which is probably better than most places. Uh, very close cooperation with you and also with the British, increasingly also with the with the French and the Germans. The German German Navy is quite active uh, in, in the North Atlantic now. We are almost ready now to sign an agreement to buy new submarines from Germany, in which we will have a common common logistics for that, um, and they operate quite a bit from Norwegian harbors. Um, in addition to that, um, the U.S. submarines are operating in the area. We saw on Trident Juncture that you were up there with substantial forces. That said, it is not our intention or it's not our wish to put a lot of military forces up in the Arctic. What is important for us is that we have a credible concept for deterrence and defense of our territory and our basic interests. And I think on that basis, we should discuss a little bit more on how we coordinate these efforts because NATO as an organization is not doing very much, but you have a lot of sub organizations involved like NATO's Maritime Command, you have um, uh, NORAD uh, on the US side, you have um, US European Command, and you even have uh, European, US, uh, European Navy, Naval commands. And then you have Second Fleet and now again, Joint Forces Command Norfolk. It needs to be better coordinated, I think, but we are doing quite a bit. And, um, and uh, what we should measure against is that we have an ability to deter and defend. So one of the so uh, just a fantastic point about the need for more coordination and for the deterrence piece. Another um, issue that Jim and I note in the report that we did is also the need to engage in dialogue with the Russians, setting up kind of the, the rules of the road, um, and and just being able to have a place where we can discuss, bring more transparency to some of these security related issues. And we highlighted in the report as a recommendation, and I wanna just kind of bounce this off you and hear your reaction about the need to restart the Arctic chods. Um, we know, you know, the Security Council doesn't address security issues. 
Um, but there is the, the issue that that was a format and a forum that was ended after Russian aggression, the annexation of Crimea and subsequent occupation in Eastern Ukraine. That was one of the things that the, the Arctic countries decided we would end as a result of Russian actions there. So some of the pushback that Jim and I have heard about that is that bringing back that kind of forum normalizes uh, Russia's Russian actions, that it teaches the Kremlin and maybe other countries that are watching that if you just wait out the United States and the West long enough that soon you can get back to normal. Jim and I push, I think, you know, hard against that line, just, just given the urgency of and the need to, to discuss security issues, it feels a little bit about cutting off your nose to spite your face. I mean, I think one of my concerns is as there's more uh, military activity, greater presence and activity in the Arctic, that we are walking closer to having some sort of unintended escalation. That, and, and, and if something happens, then it makes it more difficult. It, it becomes an issue that then will make it harder for the Biden administration to execute on other priorities because all of a sudden we're having to address this issue over here. So I just wanna hear from you and maybe Yana, we can start with you, kind of how you think about the need for addressing these security issues, what an appropriate format or mechanism would be for doing that and whether or not you think bringing back the Arctic chads is a good idea. One thing that we do say too, is maybe not going straight to the chiefs of defense level. We could start at a lower level with people with a couple fewer stars on their shoulders to see if Russia is actually genuine and kind of uh, productive in its engagements. And if so, being able to elevate it to the chiefs of defense level. But just you know, from your perspectives, from, Nor from Norway, from Finland, is that something that you would welcome or are there downsides that you would wanna flag? Um, I think um, I think we would be quite skeptical um, because um, uh, before you establish a new forum, you need to define what is your objective, what do you want to achieve. And uh, in my view, what we want to achieve is some kind of stability, uh, something on on the policy level. And I think the the military should be involved but it has to be driven by the ministries of defense and the governments. Um, we have a lot of mechanisms with Russia. We have direct communication with the Northern Fleet. My successor, Henning Waglum, is talking to the Russian um, general staff, as I did before. Um, we are not cooperating after, the, after 2014, but we are informing them about exercises and we get some information from them and we discuss things. In addition to that, we have a very close cooperation with the Russian Coast Guard, uh, even exchange inspectors. And the Norwegian Coast Guard is part of the Norwegian Navy, whereas the Russian Coast Guard is part of the FSB. And we have similar cooperation with the Russian border guards. So we have a lot of mechanisms in which we talk to, the, to Russia, which I think is very important. But what I think we should have first and foremost is a better dialogue and coordination between the Western countries in the Arctic, as I said. And um, if, you, if you go right into a forum with Russia, you could very easily be played out against each other because we don't necessarily have all the, the same views on everything. And, you know, the situation outside, uh, outside Canada and the Arctic is very different from the situation outside Norway. In our area, it's full of military, civilian activities, transportation, oil and gas, whereas in Canada, there's almost no, no activity at all. So we need to coordinate better amongst ourselves. And then we can probably also uh, discuss with Russia some way but I think it has to be political driven, not, uh, not, um, not necessarily chiefs of defense. We started with this Arctic security roundtable, um, which I think was an initiative from the US European Command. Uh, and Russia took part, I think, in the first meeting. But um, after that, we have continued to, to meet um, without the Russians. Um, and I would be happy to, to continue also that forum, but it needs to be some political guidance on top. You have to have a, a guidance, a, an objective 
that you want to to fulfill and that is lacking i think in, in, in that structure yeah i mean uh yeah i agree with what swain said and uh, in finland we always think that uh, uh, even even when you disagree and when you are in bad terms it doesn't help not to talk so we are usually favoring of, of communication and dialogue and uh, like norway uh, we also have uh, bilaterally with russia we have kept the channels of communications open so we also have a direct line or hotline from uh, helsinki to moscow center of military operations and uh, we have had uh, meetings on a high uh, defense uh, civil servant level uh, to exchange views and to for us it's also a way to uh, try to better understand uh, the reasonings behind the russian thinking and action and where do they come from so that's important and as you mentioned there has been a uh, increasing uh, curiousness or uh, uh, interest in uh, resuming to some kind of defense related uh, dialogue with russia but at the same time uh, i don't think uh, anyone in west has been willing to return back to normal and uh, considering what's now taking place in ukraine uh, we may be even further away from that but it doesn't uh, of course say that we shouldn't talk and i agree with uh, what swain said about the need to uh, coordinate uh, our stances in the west better than we do nowadays uh, there is also the uh, possibility of uh, discussing other items than hard security now that uh, Russia is about to chair the Arctic Council uh, as of May this year for the next two years uh, until 23. And uh, there are things that are other than hard security and I would uh, highlight uh, economic issues, knowing that economically uh, Russia is more dependent on the Arctic than any other country. And it was interesting to see lately when uh, the Suez Canal was blocked by this huge uh, container cargo ship. Uh, Russia highlight, highlighted uh, the uh, Northern Sea route as a viable alternative. Yeah, I saw Suez that. Suez Canal. Yeah, and and and, uh, and uh, of course, uh, remembering all the uh, uh, oil and gas reserves and mining opportunities you have in the north. And the other thing is, which is interesting, is the uh, which I believe is our gravest concern uh, concerning the Arctic, which is the climate change. And this impacts all of us. And uh, and uh, when you listen to the Russian messaging, it's usually portrayed uh, as an opportunity and as a risk in this order. So the climate change is opening up the navigation for new sea routes and it's opening up new uh, minerals and energy uh, reserves. But it's also, uh, I think Russia is more and more feeling the negative ramifications of climate warming. And uh, this is something that should urgently be addressed uh, among all the Arctic nations, uh, notwithstanding what we do with the hard defense, which is not of course uh, to be discussed in the, in the Arctic Council. Well, um, thank you guys for that. Let me let me let me go back to Andrea's question, though, just to extract one bit from it. You know, the chads the chads uh, aside, and um, the increase in uh, in coordination between all of us in the West, if you will, about the Arctic, which I agree, is fine with that, absolutely, and, and Yana. But let me let me return to this idea of an incidence at sea type agreement. If you guys remember during the Cold War, the US Navy had that with the Soviet Navy where we, we laid out rules of the road between us in terms of when our ships would come upon one another in the high seas that uh, we wouldn't paint one another and you know, that kind of thing. Um, you know, in our paper, we really uh, highlighted this idea that we, if there is going to be a so-called militarization of the Arctic, defensive or or offensive, uh, that what we didn't want to do is to have a, a spiral uh, in terms of the militarization. That um, 
you know, the Russians begin to build these systems and then we feel we have to do that in Alaska and then we deploy uh, F-35s in Alaska. So the, so the Russians feel they've got to put in um, A2AD up there, you know, uh, and we find ourselves backing into a conflict uh, because we've kind of militarized things. The thinking here is that, you know, maybe we need to have a bit of a pause here and try to work on transparency between us all communications, notifications, anything to provide stability up in the up in the Arctic area so that we don't have an accident. We don't misjudge, misunderstand, uh, and find ourselves uh, in an arms race, if you will, uh, up in the Arctic, because it's just particularly between the United States and Russia, that really. So um, whether that's done as part of, and I don't think the Arctic Council would do it, but maybe it's done bilaterally between the US and Russia. Would you guys see that kind of thing uh, as helpful in the Arctic? Would you support us doing that with Russia? Jana? Well, and, and yeah, I think uh, you hit the nail because uh, the so-called, I mean, different kinds of possible incidents at sea are at the front of uh, kinds of events which may, uh, which may turn out to be very dangerous if you have uh, if you have a miscalculation and it can uh, quickly escalate either horizontally or vertically. And uh, I think what you said about uh, discussing about the code of conduct or rules of the road, uh, it makes perfect sense. Uh, and, and I hope uh, this is something we could do uh, in the future. And uh, one thing is, I mean, uh, if you think this uh, from the point of view of uh, confidence building for example right. the, the one way to one way to begin would be to uh, for, for example to uh, start defining what is unacceptable and that might be easier and for example uh, one example i have in my mind is uh, imposing clear restrictions on uh, electromagnetic warfare in peacetime uh, finland and norway were confronted by gps and radar jamming uh, during the NATO Strident Chanks exercise. And uh, this is very uh, potentially dangerous for our civilian aviation, maritime safety, and, uh, and many other civilian functions uh, in our inhabited Arctic region. So uh, this kind of uh, actions, we would like to agree that uh, you don't do these things in peacetime. Would a CHODS format not be the appropriate place to, to work out some of these transparency mechanisms and rules of the road, or do you really think that needs to be done somewhere else? Well, if I just I mean, uh, add to what Swain said, is that uh, from the Finnish point of view, uh, of course, sure, if everybody uh, involved, all the Arctic countries would agree that that's a good idea, we would be willing to uh, explore that avenue. It's uh, I think it's... Uh, our previous experience from George Forum was positive, and, uh, and I think it's uh, in many ways a right kind of level to discuss, but that should be preceded by careful policy uh, coordination and, and, and uh, policy definition of uh, what are we talking about, what are we aiming at, and, and framing the discussion. And then it, I think it would be perfectly fine to, uh, uh, to move on to have the dialogue on, on a high military level. Uh, we have a, an incident at sea agreement with Russia, and we meet with the Russian general staff, I think, every second year to discuss incidents. And uh, we've had a lot of different incidents in which we identify Russian planes. They identify Norwegian planes flying in the Barents Sea. We have had situations in which um, the Russian Navy was operating in the Norwegian oil fields, so we had to stop the helicopter traffic. But generally speaking, these incidents at sea discussions with Russians have been productive and, uh, and very worthwhile, I think. And it's much easier to do this bilaterally, I think, than in a larger group, because there's a lot of sensitivities involved. And um, of course, when it comes to, to GPS jamming, things like that, I fully agree. But the question is, should that be exceptionalism in the Arctic? Or shouldn't that be a general rule? Yes, yeah, yeah. Over the European theater. Yep. That is also a question. And I, I just want to point out that many of the operations which are being conducted in the Arctic, at least in the European part of the Arctic, are extremely sensitive. Things like um, anti-submarine warfare. Yeah. Um, this is an area of... Um, 
strategic um, systems patrolling in the area and to have some kind of confidence building dialogue on these issues is, is very tricky indeed. I would also like to say that um, I think it is right not to take on these issues in the Arctic Council. Global warming, search and rescue, protecting the environment are very important issues in the North. And I think if you put security issues into this, it makes it even more complicated to, to deal with the, these issues. We have this Arctic Coast Guard Forum, uh, which is useful to coordinate activities in terms of, of um, handling oil spill, search and rescue and so on. And it also have a confidence building effect, I think, on the relations between the Arctic countries. Yeah. So we have something there which we can build on also. Um, last, I would also like to point out that we see an increase uh, emphasis on, um, on uh, unmanned systems in the Arctic, both in the air and under the surface. And I, I am a little bit concerned that if you have a lot of systems like this operated by many different countries, the danger of crisis episodes, uh, human error, technical error that could um, cause political crisis would increase. And this is something that we should really think about how we can deal with in the future. Um, there's a lot of systems under development by the Russians, Chinese, US, Britain, France, others. And um, because of the distances involved and the cost of operating in the Arctic, there's a danger that we would see a proliferation of systems being tested and used in operations in the Arctic in the in the few in in a few years ahead. Yeah, you know that's uh, that's a great uh, that's a great point, Svein. Uh, I think, you know, I think there's uh, there's a lot of things that we haven't thought of yet uh, that are going to hit us in a year or two uh, like this. No one thinks of the Arctic in in these terms, and I think we're going to be confronted with that because no one's looking at the Arctic except for you all, really. Uh, and I mean, uh, you all, meaning Yana, you, you guys too. Um, here in the US, it's not quite, we don't quite have that aperture yet. Uh, certain places do here in the US. But again, like I said, it's Alaska a lot of times. Um, let, me, let me raise one more thing with you all. Um, it's, and it uh, concerns Greenland. You know, I, uh, you know, uh, as you know, President Trump wanted to buy Greenland. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so obviously Greenland every now and then pops up in the minds of, uh, of, of folks in the U.S. But, but as we look at, you know, we just had elections, as you know, uh, in Greenland um, and Denmark uh, continues to uh, work with uh, Greenland Home Rule and uh, the Greenland government now things. There's a lot of progress since we first started working with them myself back in 1990. Um, and as we deal with the Arctic, a lot of it, a lot of it, uh, a lot of times Greenland pops up, uh, but a lot of times it doesn't. It's northern sea route, as I said it for us, it's Alaska, and yet, and yet Greenland is there and plays a very large role. And the Danes know that. And when you talk to Danes about national security, you talk about them, you talk to them about the Arctic. It, it brings Greenland too. But Greenland, Greenlandic politics are changing. And, and climate change is bringing a lot of very new things and possibilities to Greenland. Uh, the U.S. has a big base up there in Greenland, and not a lot of people know that. Thule is up there. It's, it's critical in terms of early warning for us. And so for the U.S. Air Force, uh, you know, it's, it's, the Air Force is going to have to be spending a lot more time dealing with Greenland in order for our base to continue up there. And there's, and you know, I think people were surprised when the U.S. opened a consulate in Nuuk. Uh, why did we do that? You know, so there's a lot of things happening and, and Greenland finds itself in the middle of that. Tell us where you guys are. You're not Danish, of course, uh, but as you are looking at your, your colleagues, your Nordic colleagues down there in Copenhagen, um, as they deal uh, and work with Greenland, what are you guys seeing? How do you see Greenland fitting into things? Uh, I just talked to, to my Danish colleague about this today. And um, 
Of course, uh, the Danes have agreed on a new investment scheme for the for Greenland and for the for the north. They plan to um, set up a radar site at uh, Faroe Islands. Oh. They will also start flying um, drones for air surveillance. I think primarily in Denmark, but also with the possibility to use from Greenland. There is also an initiative to cooperate closer with us um, on the Arctic Command in Greenland and the Norwegian Command in Buda. Good, 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 good. So we have we have different things um, underway, and I fully agree with you. Um, we need to discuss how Greenland fits into this, and I think that. Greenland is also in the midst, in the center of what I talked about when I talked about coordination. Right. Who is responsible for what in the area surrounding Greenland, except for the Danes? So I, I think that also with the longer range of Russian systems, naval systems, air systems, flying routes further north, further, further west, I think it all comes into perspective. And, and I, I would also welcome a more active uh, engagement with Canada. I think we have started a better dialogue with Canada, but it needs to be expanded even more. I agree. I agree completely. Uh, uh, I mean, if I were back in the Pentagon, <laughs> I would have already had us around my conference table, not just Canada and Norway and Denmark, but the US military too. Again, talking about Alaska. I've been to Alaska twice now, uh, dealing over the past couple of years, not advising, but I mean, part of these panels up there talking about uh, U.S. Arctic strategy in Alaska. And I keep raising with the Army and the Navy. We're doing this stuff in Europe. And they look at me like I'm from Mars. And I'll say, you know, this is really one Arctic theater starting from the Bering Strait all the way across uh, toward North Norway. Uh, so how can you not look at this, you know, anyway? But Jana, what do you think? Yeah, well, uh, I mean, uh, Spain already mentioned the serious investment our Danish colleagues are now making for to make sure they have a very good situational awareness in this quite big region which Greenland is covering and also uh, uh, bearing in mind uh, that they have to respect the, uh, the opinions of, of the local inhabitants. But for us uh, in Finland, uh, one thing that uh, Greenland reminds us from uh, is that the famous uh, Greenland, Iceland, UK gap begins from Greenland. And uh, if you, uh, if you uh, look at the maps, uh, for example, uh, a bit behind the lenses of a uh, Russian military planner, the uh, entire region, uh, the GI-UK gap, the North Atlantic, uh, High North and the Baltic Sea are one big uh, military planning region. Uh, they may have different operational plans, but uh, it's one entity which has a very strong interconnections. And this is something we, we need to bear in mind. Now, that's that's really important, Jana. I, um, I, no, I, I definitely see that. Well, we're almost out of time now. Uh, and let me, let me uh, uh, pose one last question and then over to Andrea, who will wrap us up. Uh, um, you know, uh, Nordefco, just talking about Nordefco a little bit, but, but, but really talking about it more in the terms of the relationship between all the nations there and Nordefco, all of you all. Um, we're at this time now with uh, the Arctic that we just talked about and, and the issues up there, uh, the militarization, if you will, that we're all seeing in various ways, as well as what we're seeing on the border with Ukraine now with the Russians. Um, We've also seen an uptick in, uh, in um, airspace violations and uh, that kind of thing, not just in the Baltic and the North Sea, but also in the, in the Black Sea too. Uh, we see it um, uh, off of Alaska with Russia too. So among the, the Nordic colleagues there in Nordefco, what's, how are you all thinking about all of this? It's not business as usual. This is a stress test for Nordefco too, in some ways. Um, there's there's only a limit, I'm sure, of what you guys can say about this, but just give me a little idea of the mood music within Nordefco now, uh, as we're seeing 
uh, problems with Russia not go away, uh, but in fact, um, increasing? What's the feeling? Maybe just, just to add a teeny little bit, because this is exactly, Jim, what I was just thinking about. So I definitely, we want to hear the mood music in NORDEFCO. But then as you all are thinking about where, like, where is all of this headed? And as Jim pointed out, it's kind of increasingly confrontational all across the board. The airspace violations, the jamming, the pulling the ambassador, pushing back very hard against the European Union, the troops amassing on the Ukraine, in and around Ukraine. I mean, it really, there, there, it, it is an increasingly confrontational, assertive stance. So where, you know, are we gonna be having the same conversation in a year from now? Will it have been escalated? Will Putin be forced to walk any of this back? I mean, obviously with the domestic population, these, these foreign exploits really are not especially popular anymore as people are concerned about stagnant economic conditions. Um, you know, that the, the euphoria of Crimea has worn off and I don't think people will find, you know, things in Ukraine or any attempt to escalate there. I don't think that would go down especially well with the, with the Russian public at this point of time. So where mood music in Nordefco, and if you're looking forward, kind of where do you think Putin is going with this? If you have, getting out your crystal ball, of course. <laughs> Uh, well, Andre, if I jump in, uh, because this issue is very concretely on my table right now, as uh, Finland is currently chairing the Nordic Defense Cooperation, the NORDEFCO, and uh, by the end of the year, we will hand it over for Norway. So uh, this is very much on our agenda. And uh, in the NORDEFCO community, we have recently agreed on a new set of common objectives for the coming years, and this is so-called NORDEFCO Vision 2025. And we chose as our one of our main focus areas is to build ability to act together in times of peace, crisis, and conflict. And in order to meet this common responsibility for the security in our region, uh, we continue to strengthen our capabilities together. And if you think that uh, a basis for any Defense cooperation is a mutual interest, a mutual trust. Uh, we could not be in a better company uh, with our Nordic, uh, Nordic colleagues. In addition to what's uh, happening right now in Nordefco, uh, we have taken new steps both with Norway and Sweden, bilaterally and trilaterally, to support this uh, Nordic ambition of being able to act together in peace, crisis, and conflict. Uh, so we have a new cooperation uh, outlining uh, how we would, should be able to ready, uh, able and ready to conduct coordinated operations if politically so decided. Uh, and in addition, I would also like to mention, in addition to what we are doing in NORDEFCO and with Sweden and Norway, uh, there's the UK-led Joint Expeditionary Force uh, which has uh, now soon uh, 10 Northern European countries as Iceland is about to join in. And, uh, and this group is in a very capable uh, UK hands and uh, it's focusing on, on the North Northern Atlantic and High North and, and Baltic Sea regions. And I think it's a very promising, uh, promising uh, strand of work as well. Uh, what comes to your uh, crystal ball question of the uh, uh, what's going to happen in our eastern neighborhood uh, uh, after a few years. Uh, it's very hard to say, but uh, what is uh, clearly visible is that uh, uh, the current Russian regime uh, continues to lose the popularity among the public. And uh, it comes down to very basic things, uh, people's uh, livelihoods and in incomes which have been decreasing uh, constantly uh, over the period. And for example, I would say that uh, the Chinese communist government has managed to create a uh, viable option for uh, a growing economy uh, and, uh, and, and uh, welfare, but the current Russian regime has failed to do that. And I think uh, that's one of the big issues they are tackling with in the, in the coming years. The uh, Russian government has uh, done some new, new uh, 
moves in uh, increasing uh, social welfare and, and the infrastructure in the country, but uh, it's a very, very modest beginning uh, to the direction of what they should do uh, in, in the coming years. So they will be challenged uh, uh, for sure uh, domestically uh, in the coming coming period. Um, I think um, the most important thing which is being done in Nordefco now is, is to work towards this uh, the realization of this vision 2025, in which we will be able to cooperate closely in peace, crisis, and conflict. So. Um, in these big NATO-led exercises like Trident Juncture, but also co-response, other Swedish and Finnish exercises, we train together. We've recently also deployed uh, our full brigade into Sweden, together with some US Marines and, and Royal Marines from the UK. We have this cross-border training, which uh, promotes interoperability amongst the air forces. So we are, we are leaping forward, I think. In addition to all of this, we have also decided to consult with each other if there is a crisis or a conflict uh, looming, if there is um, some worries um, from policy nature. And we have established a very, very effective secure communication amongst the five uh, ministries of defense, which we use very, very often. We have a, a new meeting plan for tomorrow on, on that network. <laughs> So uh, I think the the um, what's happening in in Northern Europe is is of essence, and I think also as Janne said, there's a clear link between what's happening in the Atlantic and Norwegian Sea and what's happening in the Baltic Sea, and um, we also have this in mind as we exercise have tabletop exercises with the Finland, Sweden, and Denmark. We have agreed a scheme for coordinating operational plans or in, in, um, in the high north with Finland and Sweden. And we are pursuing similar work uh, in the rest of, of the Nordic countries. So I think we have great progress. And um, what is so wonderful about this Nordic cooperation is that you don't find a single politician who is opposed to this in any country. So it is uh, from that perspective, very, very positive. As regards Russia, very difficult to say. Um, my guess is that we will continue to have a substantial degree of tension, political tension, along uh, the same lines that we have had over the years. One of the big issues for us is to what extent Russia and China will cooperate in the Arctic and elsewhere, because that changes the whole dynamics of it. And um, we try to watch very closely what is happening. Not very much is happening so far in the Arctic, but if that changes, it will also change the dynamic um, substantially for us. Um, nobody knows how long Putin will, will remain the leader. He has a possibility to remain more or less forever. But um, if there is also a succession um, coming up, it could also create new tension, I think. So I don't know. I don't know. We have to follow closely. Yes. And I th your, your point about Russia and China in the Arctic uh, just gives me another opportunity to foot stomp this paper that Jim and I did. And for, for those of you who haven't had a chance to read it, you know, certainly take a look. I think the one thing that we tried to do with that paper that's different than some others is to put the Arctic in the context of the broader Russia-China relationship. You know, the, the, that undoubtedly that relationship is deepening uh, ties across every sector of the relationship are growing. And so we tried, you know, then what does that mean for how we can engage with Russia uh, and, and China and our, you know, our um, Arctic allies in that region, given, given that relationship? And I think we've talked, I mean, there really are some important opportunities for productive engagement with Russia in that context. Um, that, that maybe we need to think about too in terms of the broader concept, uh, the relationship they have with China and using the Arctic as at least a foundation for some cooperation that over time can be built upon 
so that Russia at least, um, maybe that it decreases Moscow's urgency with which they're turning to Beijing, and at least you know, gives them the sense that pursuing a more balanced foreign policy is something that might be in their interests. So that's what, that's what we try to do with that paper. But this, is, this has been a really fantastic discussion. You know, as I said, we always you know, greatly value Finnish and Norwegian perspectives on Russia. So really looking forward to continuing these conversations and you both have just hit, hit so many uh, opportunities and highlighted really the importance, I think, of more coordination among allies and partners in, in, in addressing these issues. And I am hopeful that the Biden administration kind of believes that in its core and that we'll see some progress uh, on, on some of those fronts. So thanks, thank you for joining us.